The current national debt currently sits at $27 trillion. This exceeds our overall GDP by about $6 trillion. Our national debt is greater than the next four countries combined. U.S. consumer debt rose just 4% to just under $4.2 trillion in September of 2020. All of this debt helps spur the economy in one way or another, but what's often forgotten is it must be paid back. And who pays it back? Well, the person who borrowed it, of course. Today's show, we will talk about debt and address questions like, is there good debt and bad debt? Should I pay off all debt before investing? And how to analyze the risks involved with different debt levels. This is the Good Samaritan Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Jackson. Let's get into the show. Welcome to episode 21 of the Good Samaritan Podcast. We're going to talk about debt on today's episode. Uh, I wanted to kick off the episode with uh, really the situation that we find ourselves in in America with our our debt situation. I definitely encourage you to check out usdebtclock.org where you can actually see our debt broken out in numbers and it's pretty scary looking actually. It looks like a ticking time bomb with as many red numbers that you see there that are are going up exponentially, literally second by second, uh, as it just measures our, our debt um, for the country as well as some of our revenues and kind of where we look like uh, from a balance sheet perspective, uh, particularly when it comes to our, our debt. Um, but I wanted to start there. When you go to that website, you also, you also notice that there is a debt to GDP ratio. Uh, this is a ratio that really compares a country's public debt to its gross uh, domestic product. So pretty much it just helps you understand what a country owes compared to what it produces. And the ratio helps, you know, other, I won't say other, it helps lenders determine, you know, a country's ability to pay back, to pay back its debts. Um, And this is often, you know, expressed as a percentage. So particularly, uh, if you go to the website, you'll see our overall national debt, I believe, our overall debt to GDP ratio uh, is at 144 plus percent. Uh, so as of right now, uh, America doesn't look like and it's a, a very good position from a lender's perspective uh, to be able to pay back its debts. We have uh, more debt than than we can officially pay back because we don't produce enough uh, to pay back that debt. It's a very high debt, uh, to GDP ratio. Obviously it's 144%, uh, and it's only going to continue to grow, um, as the economy, uh, tries to recover from the pandemic. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, from what we can tell and what the government is signaling, there's going to be a lot more, uh, stimulus coming in the, in the near future, uh, to help spur the economy. And we're already in a position where, um, our debt to GDP ratio is already at 144, 144%. Uh, so that's kind of where, uh, we are, uh, as a country, if you were able, if you were able to compare it to, you know, someone you might've known, uh, personally, or just the average U S citizen, uh, that person works for a salary, uh, they make money and then they have racked up so much debt through loans, credit cards, whatever, uh, that now that debt is more than they produce uh, for their salary. So everything is really hindering on whether they can continue to to produce. 
um, which can shed a little brief light on why it was so controversial uh, to shut down the economy uh, to fight the virus because we as a country really needed to produce uh, to help pay our debts. Uh, so that's a, a little side note there. We won't go into that, but that's why the politics there uh, is so significant, matched along with uh, China obviously chasing uh, America to be the number one economy uh, in the world. Uh, and the pandemic definitely uh, helped accelerate uh, that pace that they were already on, which is also another side note that I give you there. Um, but the, the one benefit that a country does have, particularly one like ours, uh, is that we are able to, you know, print money. Uh, so officially, uh, whereas the average citizen would go bankrupt because uh, eventually their interest payment, their interest payments will grow larger than their total salary. Uh, eventually they would fall behind uh, and they would fall behind enough where a lender would just they would foreclose or, you know, they would try to foreclose or try to uh try to close out the debt to re get some of the assets from uh, the borrower uh, and then the borrower would, would end up in bankruptcy court uh, to help restructure uh, their debt. This doesn't really happen for countries, uh, at least for one like ours, uh, because we have the ability to print our own money. Uh, if you don't know, you know, the U.S. dollar hasn't been backed by gold in quite some time. You can thank Nixon's uh, administration for that. Um, but because we can't just print our fiat currency, uh, this rule kind of doesn't apply to us. Now, does that mean we're Teflon Don and nothing can, nothing can stick to us? Well, no, I would say that there are a lot of consequences, uh, that come with, uh, being able to infinitely print money. Uh, one of those is inflation. Um, another big consequence is wealth, uh, disparities and inequalities that, happened in the population. Uh, this has led to the rise of cryptocurrencies, which initially got created. Uh, the first being created Bitcoin when uh, right after the first uh, financial or not the first with the financial crisis uh, of 2008, which I have an episode coming right behind this one uh, with the uh, all of the changes and updates that have happened in crypto. Uh, since I did my episode on Ethereum. So make sure you go check out that episode as well if you're interested in crypto. Uh, but if you noticed, uh, cryptos, particularly Bitcoin, has started to uh, become a lot more popular. And I think this is because of the very debt that we've run up uh, as a country and we continue to print money and print money and print money. Um, and this has started to impact the the everyday citizen uh, in America to the point where they are starting to really notice it and really feel it. They can see that they uh, that their wages and their income uh, is buying less and less and less or they're having to work more and more and more or try to create more um, revenue streams or income streams. Uh, we live in a time where the art of the side hustle is becoming more of a necessity uh, than a way to get ahead. Uh, and this is due to uh, just the the pumping of money uh, into the economy to help buoy the economy to prevent it from uh, collapsing. Uh, so that's kind of where we are right now. I thought it was a good place to kind of start uh, since we were talking about debt. Uh, we might as well talk about the national debt and kind of a brief summary into how countries get in trouble. 
and how it kind of relates to an individual. Uh, it's not very different. Um, we have spent money. <laughs> we have spent more money uh, than we produce um, with a increased caveat from a country's perspective is that because we control the currency, we continue to print money. Uh, but this also brings its own problems and issues uh, when you do that. And I, I think we're all going to um, maybe not regret, but potentially regret or really have to deal with a hot mess uh, to get figured out once we come out on the other side of this pandemic, uh, because the amount of money that we have printed uh, to buoy the economy is something that the country has never seen before. I believe we've printed almost a third of the money that is in circulation was printed this year. And it looks like a lot more money is going to be printed here in the near future uh, until we can get quote unquote back to normal. Uh, all of that, all of that money that was printed, that was printed, will uh, start to start to show an impact on the economy. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. And I'll I'll save all of that for another episode. It actually sounds like a, a pretty good topic in there. Um, but as we as we start to talk about debt, I wanted to uh, really use that as a good example and a good intro to what we're discussing. Uh, there's a, a in a kind of really to continue to talk about uh, from a country level. But for example, and the reason why inflation uh, becomes a really big problem uh, as you continue to print money, um, we've seen this before uh, in other countries. Other countries have done this at a, at a much worse rate. We haven't typically been um, impacted in the same way. Uh, but for example, um, in a country like uh, Venezuela, uh, they're dealing with hyperinflation where in July of 2019, they had an annual inflation rate of 264,000%. Or Argentina, uh, the third largest economy in Latin America, was running an inflation rate of 54.4% in 2019, um, where the Argentinian minister of the Treasury asked the IMF or the International Monetary Fund to help um, with its debt payments on $56 billion and had just agreed to the year prior to restructure. Um, if, if to, to put this in perspective and why printing money can get you in trouble, as I kind of mentioned briefly with, um, as I kind of mentioned briefly with Venezuela, 200 and can you imagine year over year to uh, an inflation rate of 264,000 percent in America? Our Fed tries to target a two percent inflation rate. Can you imagine being a citizen of that country and you one day it costs a hundred dollars or something, and the next day? it costs $264,000 or something. I'm not sure if that math is right, but I, what? <laughs> um, and I can, I, can, I can assure you, I'm sure the wages haven't increased anywhere near close to, to kind of adjust that. Um, it's a good example of a country that already has moved to a crypto country called Dash because the currency is so volatile and it's, there's so much inflation uh, that its own citizens are, are starting to look for alternatives 
um, because governments have shown that they they aren't very good at at protecting uh, currencies um, because it's just so easy to to print money. Um, And these are the kind of issues uh, that it creates. Okay, so let me stop there on this. I will this will lead to a whole nother show and crypto uh, update. But ultimately, we have really arrived here because of debt and relentless borrowing, whether it's been countries, companies uh, or individuals. So let's really get into, you know, good debt versus bad debt. Is there is there such a thing as good debt versus bad debt? Um, and I won't leave you waiting <laughs> to the end of this uh, this topic to kind of give you my opinion. I should start out with it from the, the beginning. Uh, but my humble opinion is um, is that debt is is debt. Um, I think we as people give it the subjective term of good or bad. Um, but when you take out a loan, you pretty much promise to pay it back, whether that loan's a credit card, whether that loan uh, comes in the agreement of a promissory note on a loan, uh, whether it's for a house, whether it's for a car, whether it's for a business, uh, whether it's for property, uh, no matter what it's for, uh, it's a loan. It's it's which then you know it's credit, which then turns into debt that you owe back. Um, and you have to pay a certain amount of interest over a set time pre- time frame. So let's really get to the crux of what people mean by good debt versus bad debt. So what people see as bad debt typically refers to consumer debt. Uh, this includes credit card debt, personal loans, uh, potentially auto debt, uh, potentially student loan debt, uh, pot- even potentially mortgages. And I'll explain why I say it's potentially uh, or payday loans. Uh, simply put, bad debt typically um, involves borrowing money to purchase a uh, depreciating asset or doesn't provide any value uh, to you that that can help you make or more money or, or, or increase uh, any financial uh, value uh, for you. So pr- pretty much that's what uh, people mean by bad debt. So car purchases uh, are widely known to fall into this category too. It's, you know, really just rapid depreciation uh, after a purchase. Uh, in a case like a car, we might, you know, you might realize you're you're being negatively impacted in two ways, uh, being the depreciation as on average, a car decreases in value from 20 to 30 percent by the end of the first year. Uh, after that, it depreciates another 15 to 18 percent a year after that. Uh, so if you buy a thirty thousand dollar car after a year, after year one, it's worth 24K to 21,000. And each year after that it loses about 3K a year on average. That's already pretty significant of a loss, uh, even if you bought the car uh, in cash. So once you really consider uh, the loan you sign up for, you will start to wonder why this is such a, you know, norm, uh, such a normal way of, of buying a car. Uh, this same 30K loan after five-year term and say a 5% interest rate, I mean, you're going to really be looking at, you know, paying a total of really about $33,288 for a vehicle initially worth thirty k, 
Uh, but by the time you finish the term, uh, five years, the car is worth between five to 10K. Uh, so this doesn't include, you know, the maintenance costs that you, you pay on the car. This is pretty much just the, the cost of borrowing the money. Uh, so in the end of the loan, I mean, you're, you're pretty much in the red, you know, 25, 25,000 compared, compared to your overall 33,000 plus investment. Uh, this is then amplified uh, as people likely roll some of their debt into another vehicle midway through the long term or before the uh, ending of the long term. Uh, so then you're you're paying debt on top of debt. Um, the quote unquote bad debt or unproductive debt then kind of snowballs uh, with cars and really car after car. If loans are never really fully repaid, you roll them um from one car to the next. So at least with auto loan debt, there is a, a set, you know, maturity date. Now, the reason why I say it's potentially now, because there are ways, uh, and, and it really can depend on the way that you look at it, if that vehicle generates income for you, uh, then technically it's no longer a bad debt. Most, in most cases, uh, people are, and I won't even, I won't even say in most cases, typically people don't really look at, you know, we look at cars as good debt, but for the most part, when you really think about it, if you need a car to make money, um, it can, it can also be viewed as good debt. There are actually apps out there. Obviously Uber is the one you can first think to where you can, you know, monetize your car or your, you know, really turn your depreciating asset into something that, uh, can generate funds for you. Uh, but I believe there's another app out there that helps uh, people leverage their trucks. So if you own a truck, I believe you can get on an app. And if people need help, like um, moving things, I believe it's called GoPro. Um, if not, it definitely can't think of the, the app off the top of my head. But those are the instances I would say. And the reason why I say potentially, because it's now you're leveraging Say you are using debt to purchase the vehicle, but you're doing enough side jobs leveraging the vehicle, particularly in this instance, for example, a truck uh, to pay the payment uh, for the truck or pay the payment and the maintenance. Would you now view that, you know, vehicle or truck as bad debt uh, if it can gen help generate additional income for you because of the qualities of that that vehicle? So those are things I would you know, really think about, I, I'm not a, I'm not on the train of good debt versus bad debt, mostly because, um, it's all just debt and, and you owe on it and you committed to pay back that money plus, plus interest. Um, but how you end up leveraging the thing that you bought, uh, is what matters or how, uh, the, the, uh, asset that you purchased, um, does it create, can it create a potentially value or uh, does it hurt you uh, over the long term? And I, I kind of gave you that example of the car because that's the most, you know, most people, the, the, the most common way people think about cars, the most common way people purchase cars is really in the way that I described um, where they typically pay uh, even more the initial price tag and then the car depreciates so quickly um, over time.
And a lot of times that debt then gets rolled into a new loan. So you could be on your third car and you're still paying debts from two cars ago. Um, you know, that that's something that you don't you don't want to get caught in or in, be in that kind of uh, that kind of a, of a of a spiral. Uh, the other uh, obviously the most common is uh, which kind of brings an example of credit card debt. Uh, people typically see this as bad debt. Um, other people like to use credit cards because they're a lot of people say they're safer to use. I would definitely say when I travel outside of the country, much rather use a credit card than my uh, than my debit card uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but revolving debt, you know, can become crippling to based on how you uh, leverage the revolving credit. Uh, but again, this is uh, this is this is debt. You made an agreement to pay a certain interest rate. Uh, on the debt that you accrue with the card, um, and it just sits and gain interest. You could, you might, you could, you could buy the new PS5 this year for I actually don't know how much it is. I'm going to say six hundred dollars. Uh, but if you let it sit on the card, if you let that six hundred dollars sit on the card for the next five years, I mean your your uh, your PS5 could easily um, end up costing you fifty percent more uh, than the price tag, or eighty percent more of the price tag, or whatever that that math ends up uh, turning out to be. So, like I said, it, it's pretty much how you end up leveraging it. There is a portion of the population, uh, I actually believe 45% of the population uh, does pay off their credit card. Uh, only about 55% of people who have credit cards uh, hold uh, balances on their cards regularly, which, you know, turns their cards into, into bad debts. Uh, but if you're someone who tries to leverage the reward programs, et cetera, et cetera, and you pay off the card uh, religiously every month, um, I don't know if you can really call that bad debt if you're, if you're never really paying any interest based on how you use the card. Uh, now, if I, do I, am I someone who recommends doing things that way? No, um, please recognize you're talking about just a, a sales tactic or marketing uh, ploy with all these reward cards for revolving debt. It's to um, the, the credit card companies know the odds uh, that that 55% of people who are going to carry the balance are going to carry uh, their business to new heights uh, in the 45% are just a, a cost of doing business uh, because that 55% of people who are going to regularly carry a balance and pay that 18 or 20% uh, interest on that balance for years. Um, I don't know if you listen to any podcasts, but I, you know, I have a decently high balance on credit cards. I used to always say no to to new credit cards, uh, but I'm always astonished when I hear about people having sixty, seventy, and eighty thousand dollars on a credit card and they're paying twenty percent interest. Um, that's mind boggling. Um, it, you're almost making it impossible for yourself to to get ahead. The the <laughs> the credit card company is eating significant portions uh, of your income and will do it for years to come uh, if you don't put together a plan to to get that debt off your back if you're in that position. And if you're not in that position, don't fall for the uh, the marketing ploy by the credit card companies with points and cash back. Uh, I always, I almost, I, I typically get upset when I see cash back from uh, the commercials from what, insert 
whatever credit card company. Uh, I've never understood people who celebrated 2% cash back. So I spend, uh, <laughs> I spend a hundred dollars and you, and I get $2 cash back for spending a hundred dollars. And people are more excited about the $2 than the $98 that they, you know, lost. I don't, I don't understand that concept. It's not remotely close enough of a, a discount for it to really matter uh, to me one way uh, or another. So please don't fall for for those tricks. But people typically see these debts as um, as bad debts. Uh, and I hope you'll see um, the comparison or how you can kind of fall um how they can uh, go back and forth, if that makes sense. What people have deemed bad debts versus good debts, I think it's all debt, uh, just depending on how you leverage it. Um, so let's look at what people call, quote-unquote, good debt. Um, if you um, you know, were to use debt to purchase uh, an income-producing asset, this is typically what people are referring to when they're talking about good debt. So you're... Um, for example, leveraging uh, a bank loan to buy a rental property. You know how much I love real estate, so I'm going to use a rental property here. Um, use a bank loan to to leverage and purchase a, a rental property. But let's say you don't do your homework like you're supposed to do. Um, as we kind of talked to, as I talked with uh, Christopher Davis on one of our shows, if you haven't seen that show on renting or, or buying real estate, uh, definitely check it out uh, in the library. Um, as we talk about the four wealth generators of real estate, but those things don't just come because you, you leveraged, um, you got some money from a bank and went and bought a property. If you don't buy it appropriately, that quote unquote good debt or income, you know, that quote unquote de good debt that people usually view real estate as being, uh, can turn into a bad debt fairly, fairly quickly. Um, I don't think anyone who bought a house at the top of the prior to the last housing crisis would tell you that real estate is a good debt um, um, because if they couldn't stay in the house or if they couldn't fund uh, or service the debt, they more than likely had to be foreclosed on and lost their home. Uh, if not, they have sat in that house or have controlled that house, had ownership of that house for over 10 years before that house even got back to what it was worth um, prior to the crisis, which was only a couple, a few years, a couple to a few years ago, uh, when housing prices finally got back to where they were in 08, because that's how far they had dropped. Um, and this is why I say debt is just debt. Debt can, uh, a good, a quote unquote good debt can flip to a bad debt very quickly. I use that example of the 08 housing crisis. Um, a good, a good example is uh, I, I know a lot of gurus, as I've learned uh, in real estate, they like to uh, educate people on really leveraging, leverage yourself as much as you can, because the, the interest rates are so low, which they are, that you, you should go out and get all the loans that you can. Uh, you can get up to 10, 10 real estate loans, uh, conventional loans. Uh, as an individual, so if you're married, you can technically get up to 20 loans if you're each individually on each loan. Um, and then you, and, and even then after that, to go leverage more, find private money to leverage more deals and just get into debt up to your eyeballs 
uh, in real estate because it'll pay off for you in the long term. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, concepts about, you know, you aren't paying the interest that your tenants are, uh, which, which I would say this, you know, interest expense is just, you know, a cost of doing business. If you had a, a rest, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I know any other uh, business where people really talk that, uh, that way. Um, even though it's necessarily true, I think it puts you at more risk. So if I own a restaurant, um, restaurant owners would say, yeah, well, all of my diners pay, you know, all my bills and my interest expense. Yes, this is technically true um, because, you know, your profit comes from after all your expenses are paid, you know, all, all your revenue minus your expenses is your profit, uh, which is always the very balance in any business and real estate is not any different uh, in that aspect. Uh, but I always like to remind people that it, it comes with a few assumptions. Uh, and that first assumption is, is that that revenue is always going to be there no matter what. And I think the pandemic has exposed a lot of uh, those vulnerabilities in thinking that way. Uh, our economy has been on the longest, was on the the longest bull run ever in the history pre before the pandemic. Um, and from there, it could have been easily to like think that, Hey, we're just going to continue to go up forever. And if you look at the history of our economy, our stock market, but more so our economy, that's just never the case. There are always recessions. Typically they're about every 10 years. Um, and the pandemic really started this one, but back to the point about, you know, that debt can, quote unquote, be good, quote unquote, what people call good debt can turn really bad very quickly uh, with the pandemic. And as I mentioned about the assumption, you're making the assumption that revenue will always be there. But when the pandemic came, if you owned a restaurant and you had to close and that revenue was not there, now you can no longer pay what people say, quote unquote, the bills, particularly when it comes to your loans uh, that you got to. Um, get the restaurant, get the building, get all your equipment um, because it was it has been commonplace to get, you know, leverage yourself up to your eyeballs to get the space and pay the bank. Um, I will always continue to support this, which I, you know, the, the saying that, you know, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. When the pandemic came, yes, maybe when we'll talk about real estate, for example, if we we're talking about restaurants, lenders weren't, I don't, I didn't hear a lot of good, uh, good Samaritan like stories about lenders being very forgiving, uh, to the businesses that were locked into long-term leases, which typically they are for commercial real estate, for restaurants, uh, being forgiven, even though they couldn't open based on a court order, et cetera, et cetera, where they came from the state, uh, or their local government. And now that that revenue wasn't there, that quote unquote, good debt that was deemed immediately became a bad debt uh, because you're trying to pay. How else are you going to pay this interest? The only other way is to pay it with your personal funds. Uh, but typically you're leveraged so much that you don't have enough personal income to pay these loans. And eventually you, uh, you eventually go bankrupt. You're, you're having to close your business. This is what we're seeing uh, for a lot of small businesses. 
And business is always about competition. So you're always competing for customers in the marketplace as a business owner. And who was better positioned to survive the pandemic? Was it the um, was it the business owner who was leveraged, uh, who had to take, who took out loans to open their business, uh, and not only took out those loans, but has been taking time to pay back those loans. Just like I was mentioning with the the average individual, typically you're paying the minimum payment just to get by, paying all your expenses and banking the rest of the the profits, not really saving for a rainy day fund, which is something I think businesses will have learned from. Uh, hopefully this time around, if you survive that, hey, I'm probably going to have <laughs> six to nine months of cash sitting on the side because I don't know if, if something will come out the blue and we not, may not be able to to operate. Sounds eerily familiar, right? We always, or I won't say we always, I always recommend that you have what? Six months to a year of savings. We call it an emergency fund. Um, big businesses that are making millions and billions of dollars, such as airlines, clearly did not have an emergency fund because they were almost ready to collapse within a couple months of travel um, going down. After they had a decade where they probably made the most money they had ever made um, prior to the pandemic. So you always keep that in mind. Um Never make the assumption that you're always going to have the income to service your debt, because uh, I think when you do that, you fall into a trap. And I think from the beginning, you think about things differently. Uh, this is where my opinion, I differ in my opinion. I don't think you should leverage uh, as much as you can, because um, I know you're trying to leverage the long term and letting your tenants or your uh, or your business or your customers pay for your business expenses. Uh, but it's also riskier. Um, and maybe it's just that from the point of view that I'm coming from, I'm willing to have less assets to own more of them sooner uh, because I'm starting from somewhere where I didn't have any assets. Uh, there weren't any assets paid down to me or equity. So um, I'd rather work and invest for 10 years, go through a rough patch, in the economy because they're going to come go through a recession and be able to continue to hold uh, all of my assets no matter you know what happens or I'm able to be more competitive. So this brings us to real estate um, as well. You have a bunch of forbearance that exists in the market that's still uh, in place that we won't know what happens with until uh, next year. Uh, so I will definitely keep my eye on the real estate market because there may be some buyout opportunities. There may not be. I think there there's definitely plenty of pent up demand, uh, but there are a lot of people who uh, may not who may not recover and will actually be able to feel that demand overall for the market. Will it be fine? Yeah, probably. Uh, are there a lot of people who are going to lose because of it? Yes, uh, because their uh, income or revenue, as I mentioned, isn't going to be there to continue to service that debt. They get foreclosed on um, if they can't do a loan modification or if they never find, you know, the right employment to service that debt. Uh, and then the economy keeps chugging along. Uh, if you owned a rental property, if you, you had an eviction ban and you had all your tenants stop paying their rent, um, you're hurting because your lender's like, hey, I, I got money. I mean, not, not I got money. Your lender's like, hey, I have you have payments due, uh, and because you're so leveraged, 
uh, that you you can't personally make the payments um, if you haven't uh, saved up enough cash to you know weather this storm, which you probably should have six months uh, saved up for vacancy. But um, who knows if you, if you did or not? So as we kind of talk about debt and what's quote unquote good debt or bad debt, uh, none of it is good or bad. It's really just how you manage the debt and what's most important. Uh, is how you manage the debt because regardless of what the asset is uh, that you purchase, it comes down to how you manage it, whether that debt um, is in your favor financially or or it becomes uh, a negative and it starts to it starts to cost uh, you money in the long term. And the last piece I'll mention on real estate is it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, the The unemployment rate has started. Uh, to come down, um, but we'll see that the stimulus money that has gone into the economy has started to prop up a lot of companies and has prevented a lot of people from being laid off, uh, which is why there are calls for more stimulus because it sounds like uh, there's still some nervous in the market about layoffs potentially still coming um, and there, there being money needed to prop up uh, what has been deemed quote-unquote zombie companies, but that's a different uh, thing we'll we'll discuss another time. Uh, so that's how I would describe good debt versus bad debt. Uh, I don't think they exist. It's just how you you manage the the debt that you have, and don't fall under the assumption that just because it's uh, a uh, a a property, for example, uh, which do appreciate, but it does you know appreciation uh, doesn't matter if you end up getting foreclosed on. Uh, because the bank takes all the equity and they take all the property because you aren't able to to pay the debt that you you agree to to pay um, and typically that you know until all of your all of your expenses are covered from that transaction you may or might may not get funds uh, under, depending on how the the sale of that property uh, is executed um, and businesses go the same way as I mentioned before restaurants being a good example uh, during the pandemic. Uh, all's all's good debt when you're when you're making money and you have uh, revenue coming in to service that debt and all is bad debt as soon as you don't have that cash flow uh, to service that debt and never never be feeling too good and make the assumption uh, that that cash flow will will always be there uh, I personally I can tell you my first my one of my first smaller rental properties that first year we lost money uh, that first year. Uh, we had two tenants who got in and didn't pay, had to be evicted. And, I, and then I had a third tenant who decided to uh, stay very short and then take out whatever frustrations they had on my property and ended up costing me $1,500. And for that year, I think we were in the hole uh, $3,000 on that property. Uh, we made no money because the, the cash flow that we did make got eaten up by all the expenses and then we had to pay out of pocket to cover to cover the rest of the expenses uh that year um but most of what you'll find in the real estate market is everyone to you know tells you to leverage 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 the reason why we didn't panic uh and over the long term that property is profitable is because we live enough below our means that we can handle um that we can handle uh issues like that 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 come up and, you know, that kind of leads to my point about, you know, managing your debt levels. First, 
just because the bank wants to give you, give you a bunch of money doesn't mean you have to take it. Uh, remember, they're not operating their, in your best interest. They're operating their best interest. They're in the business of lending to make money. Um, and you're someone who, who provides that opportunity. Uh, if you have good enough credit and you're able to, to, borrow, uh, to borrow that money. I would say always think about the cash flows that you can uh, provide and always create doomsday scenarios. Uh, if you're married, if your spouse were to lose their job, does that, you know, does that mean you have to liquidate some of your assets, uh, to make it through? If so, I would, my recommendation would be to consider to reduce your, um, living expenses. Uh, our personally, our current, um, financial situation set up is that if either of us lost our jobs, the properties are um, kind of in their own silo and continue to, to run uh, and function without any income that comes from us working. And then our personal lifestyles uh, can be <laughs> afforded uh, on one salary or the other. Um, our savings wouldn't be as, as hefty, but... Um, it's always best to have a roof over your head and food in your mouth as a as an initial necessity that most people are are trying to get taken care of, and those are things I would consider to make sure you're uh, planning for, uh, because the same thing can happen with properties. Uh, if you, for example, if you get ten if you get ten properties and you leverage all of them at eighty percent, you put twenty percent down, they're all a hundred thousand. I don't. There are very few many places that where you can buy a hundred thousand dollar houses, but let's make the math easy. Uh, you're talking a million dollars. Uh, you put twenty percent down. That's two hundred thousand. So you have an eight hundred thousand uh, dollar loan outstanding. Um, and say now you're going to have three vacancies uh, due to the pandemic, or four people you know can't afford to pay, but you can't evict them, but you still have to pay the mortgages. Uh, these are all issues that come up and even going forward, um, maybe if people are underemployed or don't make the same money, you still have to compete for tenants. Uh, so say in the future, uh, housing prices, uh, go down and people are able to buy, uh, but you're stuck in your 30 year loan and you can't offer a competitive rent to, to attract tenants. Uh, and now you're not competitive in the market. These are all things you must consider uh, when you're talking about debt, because most investors, I would assume, uh, are purchasing and, and uh, funding their properties with 30 year mortgages. And I would say it's a big bet to make that 30 years will be uh, predictable enough for you to maneuver and not be caught Um in any negative uh, market fluctuations, uh, real estate has been nothing but on the incline since uh, the crisis but uh, of 08. But who knows if that will always uh, be the case. Um, and only time will tell. But you always have to you know, prepare yourself to for things to not always be great because uh, they won't always be. Um, and for the people who don't plan appropriately, they usually get burned pretty bad. Uh, ask anyone from the 08 crisis, and we'll we'll kind of look to see what people um, face some detrimental financial positions uh, once forbearance is over and once uh, the eviction uh, issues are over, or the if the unemployment rate continues to stay high or starts to to ebb up, 
um, all of those things will impact uh, millions of people across the country. Uh, and you want to be one of those people who can weather the storm, whether that means being able to uh, lower your rent payments to stay better, more competitive than your competition. You typically can do that if you have more equity or if you own a house outright or if you have more equity, you can refinance and, and lower your payment and then you can charge less to less in rent. Uh, but if you're at full capacity uh, and you you're not you can't be very adaptable, or flexible to changing market conditions, uh, then you're not in a very good position. Uh, you might want to reconsider uh, how to maneuver yourself to put yourself in a better position. Uh, that's from a real estate perspective. If it's your own personal financial personal financial uh, life, yeah, that means reducing your your car expenses or getting no car expenses, no auto loans is a show is a uh, is definitely something I'd recommend uh, on this show. But that means you have to move into a smaller house to to get by or be in a more financially uh, secure position. That's something you you know you you have to do. Uh, and I would hope greatly, hopefully, gratefully that you would consider uh, doing so uh, opposed to trying to uh, continue to maintain a lifestyle uh, that you can or can't afford, if that makes sense. And the common rule uh, that is out there uh, in regards to how much debt one should carry and how you should manage it uh, is the 2836 rule. Uh, which simply states you shouldn't spend more than 28% uh, of your grossly income on housing debt. Uh, so mortgages, for example, uh, and then overall debt. So mortgages plus auto debt, credit card debt, any other debt, student loan debt uh, shouldn't exceed 36% uh, of your overall gross income, which gives you about 64% uh, of uh the rest of your gross income to spend on the other things uh, that you have in your life. So whether it be travel, uh, eating out, groceries, uh, any other expenses that might exist there, um, you're pretty much, uh, you know, going to allocate 64% of your gross income, uh, which is a, which is a good rule to, to start with. I, I know if you listen to my podcast, I've usually been a little more aggressive, uh, try to be closer to 25, maybe even get super aggressive and do 20% of your overall uh, income on housing uh, debt or housing expenses. Uh, the reason why I say that is you really want to open up uh, the your disposable income or your, your other income and get that as high as you can uh, so that you can really double down on investing. Uh, if that's something that you're, you'd like to do and you'd like to get accomplished uh, and you really like to to get done. So, um, but get aggressive. Don't ever be afraid to get aggressive. Uh, definitely that 2836 rule of thumbs, a great way to great way to be is and it doesn't mean if you don't don't go lower that you're doing something wrong. Uh, definitely a comfortable way to live. Uh, but for those of you who want to get super aggressive uh, with investing, this is the only reason I would ask um, to go that much lower is because you're you're trying to really build your future and get um, much further down the road financially, uh, much quicker. Uh, obviously, the more you invest early on, uh, the bigger that 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 nest egg that you're building uh, can grow, and those investments that you make can grow. Uh, so, actually, I'll end the show there. Um, really glad to to be back. 
uh, in the swing of things. I'll, I'll start to get in the swing of the episode. So uh, glad to to be back uh, in the saddle. I uh, hope you guys got a lot out of today's episode, uh, kind of talking about debt, where we are from a country perspective. Uh, how do you really approach good debt versus bad debt? Uh, and then really how to manage how to manage debt and really uh, think about using that you know twenty eight to thirty six rule when you're building uh, your uh, budgets uh, if you haven't thought to put a number to it uh, and kind of be honest with yourself when you make that number if you're you're currently uh, over that twenty eight thirty six rule you're spending more of your income uh, on debt than than maybe you want to or you should you should definitely consider making a change. Um, Figure out how to reduce those living expenses so that you can uh, be more in line uh, with saving more of your income so you can use that income to invest so you can live a a better uh, and healthier and more relaxed life and you can have a retirement or maybe even retire early uh, if that's something that you you wish to do. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, As always, you can follow us on Instagram at the Good Samaritan Podcast. Uh, But no matter where you are in your financial journey, always take the time to be a good Samaritan. Peace.